got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the war. And I've been shutting out the stars. Yeah, cause when it rain, then it pours. Yeah, and I'm ready for some more. Yeah. Hi, welcome to this episode of Put That Coffee Down, presented by HubTran. My name's Kevin Hill, here with Tim Dooner. How are you doing today, Dooner? I'm doing good. Just pulling up the LinkedIn comments as usual. I feel like we were we were just here. I do, too. It feels like we just did an episode yesterday. Could that be right? That was a good time, man. I was howling like a wolf, like the real wolf of Wall Street. Excellent, excellent time. The 3PL Summit, our uh, our second virtual event, and now uh, now these things are coming out monthly, Kevin Hill. No stopping us. Go to live.freightwaves.com. Catch everything you may have missed during the 3PL Summit. What are we doing today? I'm excited. We're gonna, what are we talking about? Selling value versus price versus product. Becoming more and more important, Kevin Hill, as a lot of our freight agents here. I remember you talked to, um, was it Curtis Triber? You did a special episode talking about freight tech sales. Well, as more and more brokers go digital, not only are you selling freight, but a lot of times you end up having to sell SaaS services as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about positioning both. We have an excellent guest, John Ashbury, Vice President at HubTran. Yeah, whether you're in freight sales or in freight tech and freight sales, so there's a, a new word bandied about transportation as a service. And that's how you should feel about and that's how you should present your your, your transportation or freight solutions is is a service and, and a product um, that is just not about moving something from A to B, but it's about customer service. It is about market expertise. It is about uh, being the most efficient and the most value-driven and value-giving company out there in sales rep. And we have, uh, we have some few folks in the comments already. Wayne Craig says, hey, guys, from Little Rock, Arkansas. He's always driving around America, keeping freight moving. Thank you, trucker. Hashtag uh, Judah Taylor says, love the jam. Nathan Connor, Molo, we out here. And Hope White says, I went live with my volume full up and the whole restaurant turned around. Excellent <laughs> song, Dooner. See, that's what I like to do. You got to make some noise wherever you go, Hope. Do You got to make some noise. You got to make sure that, that everyone knows that you're around and and go with that, especially in sales. And for those of so, you who are... Those of you who are in the comments, uh, this is a very interactive show, so leave your comments here. We love interacting with you guys. If you have any questions for us or the guests, throw them in there. Also, let us know where you're, you're coming in from. I love that Wayne's over in Little Rock, Arkansas. That's not too far from where we are, Wayne. And uh, Peter Singh says, hey, guys, what's up with the rates? Well, I don't know. We'll get into it. HubTran is causing an efficiency revolution in the transportation back office. HubTran automates invoice processing, customer billing, and document management with AI and OCR technology, leaving more time for your teams to focus on what really matters, increasing your business profitability. To learn more, visit uptran.com. You nailed it, Kevin Hill. I did. Finally, I nailed one. That improv training. I think it was that improv training we did last week. I, I think it was. I've been trying to do my ABCs, uh, but, but I'm, I'm still a little bit behind on those. Wow, two people in a row. Mohammed Asano also says, hey, guys, what's up with the rates? Kevin, have you looked at the rates today? What's up with the rates? I haven't looked at them today, but, you know, I did watch the great debate yesterday during the 3PL summit. The, the bull and the bear. Yeah. Uh, our very own correct Fuller CEO and director of freight market intelligence, Zach Strickland. And rates are going up. Volumes are going up. Capacity is tightening. Tight, tightening. Uh, how long that will last? Who knows? Well, hey, Peter. Half the year is very cloudy. Well, hopefully after the show, Peter Singh and uh, Muhammad are worried a little bit 
less about rates and a little bit more about value because those rates are always going to keep moving. You're always going to wonder what's up with them. You know what you can do? You can make a concrete floor to foundation by having some good fundamentals and value. And that is why we're focusing on that today. But before we get there, Kevin Hill, should we do a little bad marketing? Let's do some bad marketing. Today. It's today. Today, today, today. All right. And uh, Robert Boosie says, hello, Freightways. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. He's uh, quoting Warren Buffett right there, and he's checking in from Chicago. And Matt Hennig says, uh, nice hat, Dooner. Is that from Gator Garb Summer Collection, according to Carter Shop? It actually is a Gator Garb Summer Collection. I hope you enjoy your, your wolf book, by the way. All right, here's a funny one. So we're talking about price. We're talking about value. Hoover, they wanted to increase uh, the value proposition to their customers, right, Kevin Hill? In uh, the early and 90s. They did it. So they're sitting around. There's an economic recession going on, and it, this is Hoover in England. They have too many vacuums. They have too many appliances, big, bulky items taking up a lot of space. So they go, we have this great idea. If you buy 100 pounds worth of Hoover products, that was the threshold. That was the lower threshold. You will get two round-trip tickets for two adults to uh, destinations across Europe. And when that didn't do well enough, they upped the ante and said, we will, uh, you can go to America as well. So what happens is they start selling vacuums and appliances like hotcakes. The problem is these round trip tickets to America are, have a value of over 600 pounds, six times what they're selling their lower thresholds at. And to make matters worse, Kevin Hill, a lot of people immediately recognize the, the, the value of the promotion. They may not need a vacuum or a washing machine. So they would just buy, they would buy the cheapest Hoover product that would meet the threshold. And they'd go, I don't even want to pick it up. I just want the voucher for the airline tickets, so what happens is Hoover doesn't solve anything. They don't move the appliances that they wanted to. They ended up selling a lot of vouchers, but their problem is they were taking a hit on every single one. Causes this huge scandal. Causes this huge scandal. All the executives get fired. BBC does a documentary in 2004. One of the customers, who, who is the guy here? It was uh, David Dixon. I guess he became a minor celebrity in London because he had a Hoover agent come over. I guess his washing machine was broken. And the Hoover agent says, if you think buying a washing machine is going to get you two tickets to America, you must be an idiot. Well, this pissed off David Dixon. So he takes the guy's truck and he just holds it hostage. He did. There's a financial term for this. It's called arbitrage. And that's what the consumers are doing. They're arbitraging, right? If you can buy a vacuum cleaner that you don't even have to pick up, you just order it and never pick it up. So their inventory levels say that they're the same for 100 pounds and you get a free ticket to America, uh, you know, a, a U.S. vacation. Uh, so all these consumers are doing arbitrage. And I, I think Hoover finally realized the pickle that they were in or the jam they were in <laughs> and decided not to honor those contracts or the, those vouchers, right? But things were worse. Th things went even worse for them. So they owned a 50% market share at the time they started this promotion. By the time the BBC documentary came out, they had to sell their European branch to their biggest competitor, Candy. And, and another very important lesson is that you have to sell things for more than you pay for them. Yes. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if, if you lose money on every cell, especially if, if you're not even moving inventory, no one's even coming and picking up the vacuum cleaners or the washing machines. They're, they're just buying it just for the ticket. You know, I mean, and I, I guess it worked kind of in the, the inter-European destinations, maybe a, a ticket from London to 
to, to Paris. A lot of people didn't wouldn't go through the hoops and the hurdles and paperwork of getting those vouchers, but flights to America, you know, make you know six seven hundred pound flights each round trip each way or for each person. Uh, people will go through a lot of hoops to do that. Corey Albert says, Dooner and the dude, that is not the dude, that is that is Kevin Hill. If you watch the Midday Market Update, Kevin Hill and Michael Vincent, the dude, will be sitting next to each other. Corey Albers, it'll blow your mind. It'll be like the secret identity. What do you it pick will up be. The base Tomorrow's plan? our next episode. <laughs> Kristen Davis says, rates are always going to fluctuate. That's why the service you need to provide. Nicole Barrett says, hey, freight friends. And uh, yeah, so here's a second. Here's another story. If you've ever seen Punch Drunk Love, this is, there's, this, there's a subplot in there that's based off something real. So we had our own fiasco in America. It was, and this guy, David Phillips, he's an American civil engineer. He found out that if you bought enough Healthy Choice foods, walking through a grocery store, and he was doing the math, and he's like, Healthy Choice has a promotion. You buy their pudding, you redeem the lids, and you get X amount of frequent flyer miles. So he does this to the tune of collecting over a million frequent flyer miles until uh, until Healthy Choice just ended the promotion and shut it down. But uh, you know, for him, that's see, that's a good move. That that's a that's a better move than uh than what Hoover was doing. I I think so. What the the question I have, and maybe you have this. I, I don't see it here in, in the article. Is how much did it cost him to buy all the pudding to get those UPC codes to get those 1.25 million freaking flyer miles? <laughs> Significantly less. <laughs> Have you ever I, seen? I hope so, yeah. So in Punch Drunk Love, there's this great scene where Adam Sandler's on a date and he just randomly walks into the bathroom and beats up a bathroom stall and then just like sits down casually. It's an interesting movie. Paul Thomas Anderson. That is interesting. So <laughs> I, I guess, do you do like dumpster diving to, to get those UPCs? Maybe go into restaurants and. and that they were selling the yogurt. Uh, you, the ever, yogurt? you ever know? Yeah, yogurt. You remember when like Marlboro Miles? Do you remember that from like the eighties and nineties? Mm-hmm. You used to be able to get like a like a raft or a kayak or a tent or something. And whenever you knew a friend that was like obsessed with Marlboro Miles, it was always like a like an addictive drug. They would start doing that dumpster driving. Like anybody they saw smoking, they'd be like, "Are you smoking more? Can I have your pack?" And you'd be like, "What? Yeah, yeah, and- yeah, yeah, yeah." I remember those days. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of my friends want a trip to a Montana dude ranch what? for for a week. Wow. Did they smoke yeah. a lot of Marlboros or were they dumpster diving for them? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it was a, a raffle type of thing. So I, I don't know how many miles they, they or, or points or, or whatever it was. Uh, but they spent a week up, up there. All right. Let's get down to business, man. We kick off business by starting with a quote. And this one is in honor of uh, the movie that our guest was the namesake of yesterday, right? The Wolf of Wall Street. And this is mm-hmm. Mark Hanna. He was portrayed by Matthew McConaughey. And maybe I should start this out with a and I won't get into the the completely dirty part of his speech talking about self uh, care, but he says, number one rule of wall street. Nobody, I don't care if you're Warren Buffett or Jimmy Buffett. Nobody knows if a stock is going to go up, down sideways or in circles, least of all stockbrokers, right? Reason I picked that Kevin is because we're going to make some parallels between things like gold, the stock market and freight rates and how those relate to price versus value. We exactly are, and someone mentioned on LinkedIn is what we can't control in this business are market rates for freight, right? It's all supply and demand, just like financial stocks, just like gold, just like any other commodity. We can't control what rates are going to do, what freight volumes are going to do, what the economy will do. But what we can do is control the value we can give and the value we can sell. Matt Henning has some sort of scheme going on where he takes Monster Energy tabs and he, uh, I guess, extracts the aluminum for them because it's worth more 
the aluminum in the Monster Energy tab, it, it's cheaper to buy them. I don't know. You have to explain this one to us, Matt. I don't know what scheme you got going on here. Probably need to get JB Hampstead in on this conversation. Does he have a lot of he weird buys schemes it like by that? The case. Oh, Monster Energy Mon- tabs? Yeah. What are the tabs? like? Oh, I they- don't know if he collects it, but he drinks it by the case. What what like do you eventually so you go from drinking the can the, the what is the progression of addiction in like Monster Energy products you start with the can then you're doing the tabs then you're doing like the the shatter and then you're doing uh you're just freebasing it I, I guess so I, I don't know what what the progression is I don't know how the aluminum is a aluminum can more than a Monster drink I don't know they say aluminum's getting harder to find but I got like a gigantic sheet of it in my in my dresser so. I don't know. <laughs> my dresser. I mean, my <laughs> cupboard. <laughs> I put my food in my dresser. Uh, the most important. Okay, so let's get into the topic. The most important distinction between price and value is the fact that price is arbitrary and value is fundamental. Right, Kevin? That is exactly right. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. Warren Buffett quote uh, right there. Uh, and it's 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 one of the, the, the best quotes out there on this, you know. Uh, you're going to sell on price or you're going to sell on value. It's your choice. So the, the choice is pretty easy. It, you should be selling on value. Well, that's because prices are arbitrary, right? They, they fluctuate. They move. They're subject to change based on the market. But your fundamentals and your values don't need to be arbitrary. That should be your rock. That should be your ground. That should be your foundation. That should be how you're selling these solutions to people. It is exactly right. It's, it's basically no sell is made unless the value is more than the price, right? If you're trying to sell things where the value is less than the price, you're going to go out of business very soon. The more value you can give for that price, the easier and the less friction there is in, in sales. So you have to, to create a system, create a process, create content marketing. There, there's all kinds of things you can do. Have a good attitude. You know, smile. Those are two things that cost us nothing. And those are valuable to, to customers. And the more value that you can increase without costing you anything, too, uh, the, the, the better and then the less, the less friction there is going to be in that sales process. Peter, Peter Singh just teed me up perfectly, too. He says, totally agree with value and demand ratio, but competition also plays a role at times with cheap rates. Yes, it does. So let, let's, let's, let's relate this to stocks a little bit, right? So Forbes author Phil Towns, he likens this debate to stocks or gold bars. Commodities with high value fluctuate, but he contends that people buy based both on perceived value being worth more than the price or selling if it's perceived as less, right? So you, 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 go, you, go, you open up your Robinhood app right now. You see the price of Shopify. It's got under 1000 Wow, this seems like a great deal based on the market. But the difference is there's traders and there's investors, right? Traders care about that price and their position. So you're opening Robinhood. You see Shopify at 950 You know it's going to go up to 1020 by the end of the week. So you buy it because you want to move it really quick. You don't, you're not investing in Shopify. Right. You don't you're not taking a long term position in that. So the parallel between this and being a freight broker is do you want to have that transactional quick sell, which sometimes you do need. Sometimes you got to keep your trucks moving, your freight moving. But do you also want the investors? You want your customers to invest in you. So you want to treat them like investors. Yeah, you have to have a nice mix of both, really. You have to have those investors. You have to have those uh, in transactional businesses too, whenever those opportunities come up, I, I wouldn't spend too much time going out and digging it and trying to sell transactional freight. But it, when it comes in and hits, hits you, uh, you know, in the lap, you know, it, it's, it's a great opportunity to, to, to turn a quick profit, just like traders do. Uh, you can take any stock with your favorite stock, probably Tesla. Right. And no, no, I'm not an know, owner no. anymore. So not as much of a oh, yeah, fan. Not? Yeah. I, I, uh, okay. <laughs> we take Disney too. Disney's a really good company, but there's certain times where the, the stock is overvalued. 
You know, yes. it's, the price is too high for the value you're going to get. And oftentimes it's going to be lower, though the price of that stock is going to be lower than the value of the company. And, and that's kind of what you have to decide. And it's the same with the sales opportunities. Kenneth Carter III says, I'm late, but I'm here. Hello, people. Well, Kenneth, you just, KC3, you just teed me up. If, if you're late, you're just turning in right now. These are also on demand on your favorite podcast player of choice. Just look up pot, put that coffee down or Freightcast. You look up Freightcast, you get every single Freightways podcast, including, including all of those sessions from uh, the 3PL Summit yesterday, including that one with the Wolf of Wall Street we did on yesterday's Put That Coffee Down. Or you can go to live.freightways.com, watch all those sessions, or download the Freightways TV app and, uh, and watch our mugs if you really like that. But the reason I we, we bring up freight, because freight is similar to stocks in the sense that it's highly volatile and the price rarely aligns with the value. And I'm talking about the market price here, the load board price. It, it does. I mean, it's, it's a market base. I mean, it's just like trading stocks, just like trading oil, gold, anything. You can't control that price, uh, but you can control the value that, that you give to your customers. And that's how you should uh, compete against your, your peers, your competitors, uh, anybody and everybody out there is to have a really good, strong value-based approach to, to the service that you offer. If you want to see in this action, look back to the freight cliff and look at the brokers that had no moat. Look at the ones who were completely exposed to the stock market and had zero moat. Because anybody can price and move freight. It doesn't take that much to, to get licensed to be able to do that. Where the value comes from is that's what establishes your moat. That's what protects your perceived value to the customer. For a carrier or broker, that's including your service, your reputation, your reliability, all the things that differentiate yourself from everybody else in the market. Why should they move freight with you? If you get stuck in that transactional game of, well, because I'll move it at $1.29 and he's doing it at $1.32 or, or the truckstop.com board says $1.34, I'll get you at $1.28. You're undercutting yourself and you're getting into a race to the bottom on your own profits because the first thing you're doing is negotiating away how much money you're going to make. Yeah, instead, instead of dropping your price, add value. Keep adding value. And uh, excellent books to, to go out and, and kind of look at and, and people to, to read are the value investors. So the value investors, as you said, Duner, about the moats, they talk a lot about moats, investing in businesses that have really wide moats. They yeah. really differentiate themselves, and they have a competitive advantage. And that does, doesn't mean a global competitive advantage, but in their niche, there's a competitive advantage, and there's this whole philosophy and investment uh, thesis on on value investing and and identifying value, which that you can translate translate from investing in stocks to to going out and 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 capturing sales opportunity. Yeah, and and I think what we're speaking to here, and we're not saying there's anything wrong with load boards using spot market or anything. What we're talking about though is decreasing your exposure by creating those relationships and thinking more about some customers to invest. And you still need that transactional. Just as a trader, there are a lot of traders who do long term investments, but also do plenty of shorts. I do the same thing in a. Uh, in my Robinhood app all the time. There's some things that I'm like, like I said with Shopify, if I see that go under a thousand, I buy it. When it goes over, I sell it. And I just keep taking that money, buying more as it goes up. Each time dips down, I buy up. And I, there's a few stocks I key like that. And I've done very well in Robinhood just playing that game by, by shifting money back to myself, diverting it back. And because if you understand the market, you can think that way. That's, that's perfectly fine. But the problem with selling on price is that it's table stakes, right? You're conditioning your buyer to simply reflect on the price and ignore the core aspects of everything else. You are, and, and as a freight broker, a former freight broker that has played the transactional game, 
or the the game, the transactional game, and, and lived off the load boards, lived off that transactional customer. There's so much stress that goes involved in that. You never know uh, what your commission's going to be. You're 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 a prisoner to the market, the ups and downs, the roller coaster that we've been through this year. If you're a transactional uh, freight broker right now, it's it's just a topsy turvy world. Um, it, you don't really have any consistency, and the, the grind just really gets to you, and it stresses you out, makes you eat a lot, and put on pounds. It's a horrible way to, to, to live, and that's because you're not really adding value. You're just you're just trading on price. Here's a caveat, though. And unless you're really good at it, it's, it's a horrible, horrible life to leave. Here's a caveat, though, Cal- Kevin. Value doesn't shift with market pricing, right? But it shifts customer to customer, making it a more challenging maybe aspect for a a lot of salespeople to get into because it's not as easy. It's not as one size fits all. It's not a template email. It's not, it's not a template invoice or transaction sale. You have to figure out what your customer values. That means you have to do work. That's why some salespeople don't like to sell on value, but value is an equation. Value is an equation that is perceived benefits divided by perceived price paid. You're exactly right, and one of the the, the big value points. Uh, so, so we you have hidden co- you have visible costs or, or visible value, and hidden costs or, or hidden value, right? I, a lot of people are are fixated on ROI, which is a very important metric, but it only measures the visible value or costs, right? Cost savings or value add. There is so much hidden costs and hidden value out there. Uh, that you might not even think about, and your customer might not be thinking about as well. You know, there's, I, I, I think uh, on LinkedIn uh, a day or so ago, it was all about turn driver turnover, right? And so the cost of recruiting and, and seating a, a driver is one of those hidden costs that, um, that that people don't really don't think about. But then there's other hidden costs out there, and to be able to go out and identify those hidden costs and bring those to light. It's basically problems that your customer doesn't even know that they have. And the better you get at uncovering that and driving value that way uh, is, is, is really key. Aaron Dunn says when he was a kid, he dreamed he'd own a house with a moat. Hey, there's still time, buddy. I've met Aaron Dunn before. He's a, he's a very clever young man. I actually saw him at Gats. Unfortunately, there is no Gats this year. I don't even think they're even doing it virtual. Uh, so, but here, Kevin, to be fair to reps, there's a reason why, and I've done this before, there's a reason why reps lean on pricing, and it's because it's an aspect of the transaction that they can control, especially if you know that you have a crappy customer service department, uh, maybe your value proposition actually isn't that great, and you... You can't control anything with a customer after that fact. So pricing is is the quiver. So it's the one arrow that you've got to work with. So that's what you're shooting. You're exactly right. That's one thing you can control. You can't control the operations of, of your company a lot of times, uh, especially if you're just a sales rep. You can't, you know, you carry your network, you know, your contacts. You can't really control any of that. Uh, content marketing, adding value that way. You can't really control that, but you can control price. It's really easy. It's really visible. And it's something that, uh, you know, as you said, it's one arrow in a quiver that you can pull out anytime and, and just try to make a, a quick deal, especially if you're coming up against the end of the month and you need to, to close some some business and put some margin on the board. 
Peter Singh says, uh, can you go a bit more into uh, aspects, like value aspects? They, and that's the, that's the challenge because they can mean anything to your customer. For them, it could be long-term savings. It could mean excellent customer service. Maybe they don't like doing paperwork. You're reducing friction there. Maybe you just have, maybe they don't like talking to people and you've automated the entire process. Maybe they, maybe your billing is fantastic. It's easy to factor through you. Maybe you offer some other extended service. It varies between customer. And that is, this is something that comes up a lot of times. With pricing, it's a little bit more straightforward. When you're talking about with SaaS sales, that's where it becomes more difficult, especially when a lot of SaaS sales goes and highlights a lot of features. So then in turn, the salespeople, because they're not trained that well, they just look at the features and they just attack people with bullets instead of finding out why that feature's in the program to begin with. Obviously, it has to solve some sort of problem, right, if it's in there. So understanding the problem is knowing the feature and talking about the problem is selling the feature. It's selling a feature, and one of the, the most simple questions I, I think, and I am guilty of this as well, is just to, to go into a demo, especially if you're doing SaaS, and say, what do you really want to use this for? You know, what's your, the biggest problem? And just showing them that, I, I think there's another statistic out there, and I can't think of the exact number off the top of my head, but it's a large majority of people of any SaaS product, they only use what was shown in the demo. Right, that they never really go into all the other features and, and benefits that 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 program, whatever it is, whether it's a freight program or an email program or or any Salesforce even, right? That they just use what was shown on the demo, and so there's there's you know there's this huge blanket of features out there that they maybe don't really care about uh, at all. Yeah. But if you're spending your time showing them that, then it can get into a confusing map. I, I pulled a quote out of this article, The Secret of Selling SaaS Value versus Product by Uplit Altify, because I think it, it talks about this problem pretty well. It says, if you sell an innovative product, something that requires your customer to cross the chasm of the early adapt, uh, adopter, something that customers can go 50% of the way through the buyer's journey, but still not understand what you're selling. This is especially true if marketing puts your product features front and center instead of focusing on the value your products deliver. It's even more common if your products have the ethereal shape-shifting quality of a cloud service or an app. The communication gap between you and your customer can actually be an advantage if you talk about the value you are offering and if you don't go near explaining the product right away. And I think this is fundamentally true at SaaS, which is, again, why we're comparing SaaS and, and rate sales, because I don't think it's the same skill selling both things. Uh, should we find out what our guest, Josh Ashbury, Vice President of HubTrend, thinks? I think we should. Let's give him a call right now. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence starts. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hey, Josh. Thank you for... It's Josh Ashbury, Vice President of HubTrend. Thank you so much for joining Kevin Hill and I on Put That Coffee Down today. Hey guys, how are you doing today? We uh, we're excited to to have you. We have some fun stuff to to start out with you with. But one thing we always do on the show is the elevator pitch. It's just our it's our way for you to introduce yourself. You have thirty seconds to just introduce yourself and hub and hubtran. I'll hit the button now. When it's done, you'll hear the elevator doors pop right open. Okay, here we go. Start in the elevator. Hubtran is an AI technology that automates transportation back office. So we automate manual processes, and our customers are able to work 10 times faster. They can reduce costs, eliminate errors, and accelerate time to cash. I mean, ultimately, this allows them to focus their resources on work that actually drives business growth. Excellent. 
Wow, and we're, we're still in the elevator. So I know this. So this gives I, us. A, I like short, short and to the point, man. I don't, you know, elevator pitches that are too <laughs> long are too convoluted. People get lost. Thirty seconds is way too long. I love it. I love it. And it still gives us time to yep. talk about work from home because you sent us some fun pictures from work from home. <laughs> uh, what prompted it was the, the sort of pet sharing. So just to refresh the audience, because last time we played this video live, uh, the sound wasn't on. So we're going to play this video one more time with the sound on. Then we're going to we're going to look at a couple pictures you sent us. So production, if you could roll the tape, let's let's hear it. Ever since the pandemic hit, our roommates have become our co-workers in arrangements we'd never attended but now live with. We share workspaces with our golden doodles, cavapoos, golden retrievers, rescue labs, polydactyl cats, parrots, chickens, lizards, and did I mention the cat on your keyboard? Hi, Mittens. Is that you slacking again? You're the number one draft pick on my Microsoft Teams. Shout out to the human coworkers of these pet counterparts. Craig Fuller, Emily Zink, Kevin Hill's sister, Kevin Hill's mom, my parents, my sister, guest Nicole Barrett, Ryan Schreiber, Tom Curry. What are you clucking about? Justin McGee, Carly Reeves, Dooner Livingston, Connor, Emila, Cody, Brandon, Billy, Whitney, Anna, John Piper, and so many more. Thank you so much for sharing your coworkers with us today in arrangements we'd never intended but now live with. Awesome video. Oh, excellent. Always an awesome video. It, it is an awesome stuff. So we, we played that again because Anna over in our uh, over in our team who works with Hubtran, she sent us a few pictures that Josh had sent us. Uh, should we start with the with the dog or with Phineas and Ferb, Josh? Uh, let's let's start with the dog. All right, let's start with the dog. Let's uh, yeah, let's not uh, rip the bandaid off too quick. All right, let's yeah, start. With, yeah. So who are we looking at here? Is this this is Izzy the dog? It's, this is Ziggy. Uh, so it's Ziggy. So he's, uh, you know, he's got the David Bowie name because of his, uh, you know, the stripe on his head and the uh, uh, his crazy eye. Uh, so he's uh, he's a good boy. He's not very bright. And he's you know, every single every single Zoom meeting I'm on, he's either at my feet, next to my side, and you're always trying to pretend that he's not there. <laughs> hey man, I I know the feeling, and I you know, see, I live at home. We have a few things in common. One is that my sister also went to Miami of Ohio, like you, and actually she was there. I don't think she knows you, but she was there for two years that you, she graduated in 99. I think maybe you were around that time too. So some, some crossover, but not the same crossover oh, as nice. Ben Roethlisberger. No, no. I, I, I saw Roethlisberger play uh, uh, one of the senior games, uh, went back there to watch him and it was ridiculous watching his talent uh, versus the other Mac teams. It was just, it was nuts. Well, for, for but us, he went, but he went to play for Pittsburgh. So, you know, he, that's, that's unforgivable to me. They for us they are the the Miami University. <laughs> the, the Miami was university before Florida was a state, right? Yes. Well, the, well, the, and the other thing we have in common is that I've been working on broadcasting from home right now. I've been working from home throughout this pandemic, and I have a three year old and a five year old, and they they make work uh, a bit of a challenge sometimes. And uh, I believe you have a story to tell us as well. Oh yeah. Well, I, I, look, I have I have many, uh, but uh, the, <laughs> that, the, <laughs> the, the, the photo I sent uh, Anna. Uh, you know, what I like to say is like, you know, you, you're working from home and you try to maintain like a modicum of professionalism. No, everybody knows, uh, you know, uh, that there's disasters around you, right? Well, I'm on this conference call and uh, my daughter comes in. She just turned four. Today's her birthday. And she uh, comes into the room, turns on Phineas and Ferb on the Apple TV. And I, I go on mute and I shush her out. Five minutes later, she comes back in, turns the TV on, walks out, walks back in with her, tra- uh, with her trainer potty 
drops trowel, sits down, uses the bathroom while watching Phineas and Ferb while I'm on a conference call. <laughs> Whole time, I've got to. I've got to pretend this is not happening in front of me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just, you know, it, it's just, it's hilarious. Like, you know, everybody's making this up as they go along. Everybody's pretending that things aren't uh, aren't haywire around them. But you know, it's it, it's classic. It was it was hilarious. I, you know what? I love having the the one the one blessing of this pandemic is as much as a challenge that kids can make it. Sometimes it's uh, I, I cherish this extra time I get to to spend with them and, and watch them grow throughout these periods, especially at this super young age. Oh, no kidding. Same here. Same here. It, it, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. I, and, I, you know, and I look forward to the, uh, to the damage that we're going to do uh, later, you know, when she goes, uh, when she goes to her therapist in 20, 25 years and talks about just how horrible the, the quarantine was and how clingy her parents were and all that good stuff. But, you know, we'll deal with that later. Kevin Hill doesn't have any kids, but he he does that in front of the TV himself during conference calls. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. It's just joys of, of living alone. Right. I, I, I can I, I can do that with my uh, my trainer. When you think about it, there's a lot of wisdom in what Grace did there. You know, it's, it's hyper efficient. You know, I mean, you know, she's uh, she's multitasking. You know, so there's, it made, made a lot of sense when you think about it. So let's let's uh, let's let's get into some business here. Uh, one of the topics we're going to talk about today is the difference between selling on value versus price. And when you're talking about SaaS, you kind of also have to talk about versus product as well. So value, price, and product. Give us a little insight here. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the way that you guys discussed this earlier. On. Uh, I mean, it's just it's really easy to for a sales rep to get into uh, just talking about features, right? And because all the marketing material supports that, uh, you know, he, here's your here's your checklist, here's your competitive battle cards, you know, it's, and they're all just feature driven, right? And that's starting in my mind. That's starting the conversation about about me, right? Because it's easy. You, know, you can talk about price and say, you know, if you're SaaS based, we're priced for per seat, per transaction, per whatever. Because it's easy. Uh, it's really difficult to get into understanding. You know, like what is the problem that the customer has, and what the, what problem are they trying to solve? And that's why I think a lot of sales reps don't do that because it's really difficult. Probably extends the sale uh, uh, cycle a bit. But ultimately, if you can really dig in and understand what their problems are and what they're trying to solve, then you're, you're going to do a better job as a sales rep. You're going to be more successful. You know, so, you know, yeah, from, I, from our perspective, as, you know, from HubTrans' perspective, as a SaaS base, I mean, you know, we, you know, our whole value prop is built around selling value. But even then, we have to understand what matters to the customer because what we say is valuable. Customer might not care, might not care about. Yeah, you're exactly right on the on, on. It's very easy to talk about brass tacks, right? The, the features, the the things that are very concrete to, to everybody. But taking the the value, which is a very abstract concept, and you don't really know where that value lies, customer to customer, and making that concrete is a, is a chore, and it's not easy. And that's the reason why people talk about it and talk about it and talk about it is because it's not an easy task to do. And you're talking about finding value on the customer. I, I I'm I've always been fascinated with the the hidden. So that hidden value or hidden costs that really aren't apparent to, to, to the sales rep, certainly, but also maybe not to the customer and, and identifying that and, and educating the customer and bringing that, that hidden pain point that they're not even aware of right now uh, to the surface and, and selling on that. What are your, your thoughts on that, Chuck? Yeah, it, it, it goes back to... So it, Two responses there. I mean, one is it goes back to what you guys were talking about last week with the uh, with improv. Sales reps have a it, it's highly uncomfortable um, doing that dance with customers, right? Because you don't know what they're going to say. But, so, but you have to have that. But you have to have that modicum of preparedness to be able to, to do to do an improv with a customer. So what I like to do is I like to structure it. Um, so you know, give the sales reps 
a tool uh, so that, that makes that makes them comfortable when they're digging in and, and getting those questions answer, or getting those questions answered by customers. And so, you know, I always go back to the Kaizen method, right? So if you do a root cause analysis in Kaizen, there's you ask the five whys, right? So you give your rep like the leading question, and then then just keep asking why. Keep asking those follow up questions to the customer. Keep asking why. Do it five times. And you're going to find out what the problem is. You're going to find out what the what the what the problem is that the customer is actually trying to solve. And it's going to surprise you every time. But if you structure it that way, at least at least it gives the sales rep uh, uh, a, me- a method to be able to ask uh, ask why and get get to the bottom of what customers are really struggling with. What is the fundamental difference? And I, I know we've touched on it, but what do you tell your reps and the guys you work with? What is the fundamental difference between selling on that that price versus that value versus that product when you throw that new wrinkle in there? I mean, we know about ignoring the features, and we've heard so many SaaS pitches, and we've even sent demos and stuff where people just, it, it's all feature, 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 feature. Mm-hmm. It's nothing about me. It's nothing about my problem. It, it's that kind of thing. But when we're talking about the difference between like freight rates and, and SaaS, what differentiations would you make? So, uh, ask that question again, Dinner. Uh, I'm not sure I understood. What kind of different? What is the fundamental difference that you would tell a sales rep who's really not grasping the value of that price versus value or that feature versus product? Okay. Yeah. I mean, so the, the fundamental difference is, uh, you know, you're, you you don't want to be you're, you're never going to win on price long term. There's there there will be a race to the bottom, right? And so. To get the sales rep to really understand uh, that you know you don't compete on price, you never do, because uh, someone can always undercut you. Someone's always willing to take a bath. The only way you're going to compete, oh, and, and by the way, someone's also going to have more features than you, or at least uh, you know say they have more features than you. So you're you're never going to win there. Or if you do, it's going to be a short term uh, win. You know the way that you know what I try to get the sales reps to do is say you know you understand what the long term value is that, that we're providing, and you communicate that like crazy to a customer. And so you, you know, you, by asking those questions up front, you do you go through all these questions, you get the checklist, you go through all that stuff. Then you, you know, like what we do at HubTran is, you know, got the you know got the team doing this now pretty regularly. Is we we have this thing uh, called the value builder, where we you know, we get all the information. We, we basically have a consulting engagement. We get all the information we can from a customer. We ask them all these questions. We get them to sign off on that, and that value builder then turns into the, we call it the customer success contract. And then we do that. We do, we do check-ins with a customer on a monthly basis or quarterly if they want it. Uh, just make sure that they are getting the value that we promised them and that they agreed to. We even signed the deal before they even started to use the application. So if you teach a sales rep to really focus on the long-term versus the short-term win, you know, it, it helps out with getting the sales rep's understanding value versus feature versus price. It also gets the customers like really ginned up and engaged with what, what they're buying and, when, and ensuring that you as a vendor are doing what you said you were going to do. Kevin, you did mention to me before, and, and you've said before that at times you have used price to gauge commitment level, right? To see how in, to gauge interest level. Can you elaborate on that a little bit and how that fits into this conversation? Well, I, I think you know there's two different philosophies, right? And I, and and this is a question for Josh, right? What what he believes is best is do you come up right right up front and say this is our price, and then build value? Sorry, my mic build value uh, above that or do you try to build value and then do the price at the end and what i found is if you do the the, the latter if you're building value you're never going to build enough value uh for your customer for that price not to be a sticker shock but if you start out with price and use your own all, all your demos and presentations to, to drive value 
and exceed that price that the customer already knows or that prospect already knows, I, I think that's a better method. Uh, but there's some disagreements out there and, and different strategies, and I'd like to get Josh's uh, opinion on what he prefers. Yeah, I <clears throat> I hear you, <laughs> and, that, and that's a tough one because because you you want to you, you want to be able to qualify people out quickly that don't have budget, right? And and that's that you mm-hmm. you you don't want to waste a whole long sales process, and then at the end they go. Oh wow, that's great, but you know, we can't afford you. So, wh- I try to be. I want us to be very transparent upfront about. Okay, this is <clears throat> this is what the co- this is high level budgetary reasons. This is what you're going to. This is what it's going to cost you. Now it's on me over the co- duration of the sales process to prove to you that uh, that you're gonna, that we're going to be able to deliver that type of value. That this is going to be just a a blip for you because you're going to realize so much cost savings, so many efficiency gains, all that type of stuff by using uh, by using Hubtran or you know pick your application. Uh, so yeah, you want to be upfront about it. And if they have a sticker shock, uh, but they probably will at the beginning, but then when you start proving it, they're going to get it. <clears throat> but if they walk away at the very beginning, then you didn't waste any time. Yeah, I, I agree. The sticker shock at, at the beginning of the process is much better than the sticker shock at the end of the process, because you've done all this work. Now you're, now you're in a, a pickle or, you know, you're in a pickle. You have to, to, to figure out how do I increase that value? Uh, at the last moment, right. instead of coming out, getting that sticker shock, and then building that value throughout the process. Well, how do you leverage that value then, uh, Josh? Like, as Kevin's saying here, so he's giving them a price. Now he's got to put that value, and then he's got to leverage it to to push them over that buying point. So how do we leverage it? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you leverage like so. What we do again with the customer success contract, right? Like, you know, we leverage that to say, and we're st- and we're standing by this, and we're gonna say, we're gonna be by- we're gonna be with you every month or however you know as often as you want to make sure that you're getting the value that we committed to. And if you didn't walk away, fine. Um, but you can leverage at the end, you know, in, in, a, in a sales process when because at the end of the sales process is when we're gonna start asking for discounts, right? When you're going to enter those negotiations. So at that point, you, you, you've already convinced them once you get to that point that they're going to get a lot of tremendous amount of value out of it. So why would they want a discount, right? <laughs> so it kind of gives, mm-hmm. you, gives you the sales rep, you use the sales rep, I like up in those types of negotiations as well. Like, yeah, you, you don't need a discount because we've already proven that you're going to get, you know, four times uh, savings right, by implementing this or get this much more profit by doing X, Y, and Z. So, you know, again, sales reps can really maximize earnings for themselves and the company by, uh, uh, using value up front and minimizing discounts and all that type of stuff later. So it just really helps with the contractual negotiations. So price can be a good lead, but maybe a weak foundation. And if you're using it as that lead, then you should increase value instead of reducing costs to win that business. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and you know, I, I, as a, as a SaaS based business, you know, I'm really stingy when it comes to discounts because you know, you're, we're, you know, you're, it, it, it's additive every month, right? <clears throat> you know, if you're doing, if you're like, you know, Oracle or IBM back in the day and you're doing license and maintenance tech things, yeah, you'll take, you'll take a bath on the, on the license, but you, they would never take a bath on the maintenance because that's where, that's where the on- ongoing revenue goes. So, you know, so if you have to discount, um, make sure that um, you're getting something for it, but also, you know, you probably didn't do a good job of making the customer really realize like, oh my gosh, yeah, we are going to get a lot, a lot out of this. And sometimes customers just want to win. You know, procurement people are procurement people. You got to deal with them. <laughs> so, so Josh, you, you described, uh, you know, customer 
customer success contract and, and price versus value kind of tools for the salespeople. How about a corporate strategy, like a marketing strategy and how to build value in, in corporate communications and advertising and, and marketing, uh, specifically like content marketing out there on a, on a corporate level instead of the, the salesperson themselves? Uh, what are, are some good strategies for that? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, every, so, you know, Using HubTrain as, as an example, uh, just because it's my world uh, these days, obviously, uh, but like we, we cook that messaging into everything we do. Uh, so it's, you know, you, you'll see four times faster. You'll see back office efficiency. You'll see, you know, reduced errors you know, and accelerated time to cash. You'll see all that stuff in our, in our marketing. And, and that's, and that's, that's the good leading punch. But ultimately, though, you know, it does come down to the sales rep. To uh, uh, to figure out, okay, what does this customer really value? You know, so you know, we, we say four times faster. You know, your back office is going to work four times faster. That's great, but um, <laughs> how do you know that? That doesn't really matter, right? Well, well we, we do with our metrics, but you know, but what does that mean? What, but how does that translate to a customer, right? Uh, you know, they're, they're going to look at you know, I okay, well, why not ten times faster? You know, or two times is good enough for me, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, there's there's like it, that the marketing stuff, the content marketing gets you in the door. Then it's on the sales rep to actually do the do the heavy lifting, and no. you got to make sure the content marketing is as right as you can get it. Uh, but you know, ultimately, it's wrong because it's just general purpose, right? You you can't you don't know until you sit down and and ask those customers what's important to them. You know, you guys bring up an interesting point too, and and you see this in the SaaS world. Half the SaaS sites you go to, the pricing is right there. It's on the the, the front splash page. You have the pricing. Then other ones, you you have to you have to talk to a sales rep to uncover that because it's it's sold on different value propositions. But how do you get salespeople to go about uncovering those hidden costs that drive value during the sales process? That that saving time in the the back office, where I, I guess you're saying you did some research, you did some metrics, so you can arm your salespeople with that. But what are some other ways you can get them to extract that? information from uh from their prospect well you got to understand you you, you got to understand the prospect's world uh best you can i mean so you know, i started i started in uh i started at hubtran back in september of last year and you know no exposure to the logistics world 3pls brokers is nothing right so i'm i'm, I'm and i'm still in the fight um so I was highly uncomfortable going into all these different conversations with customers. But, you know, as time's gone on, uh, you know, you start hearing the same thing over and over and over again. Everybody's battling the same demon. So, uh, you know, like, uh, one of the hidden costs that we have found and uh, we, you know, we'll ask customers, is like, you know, so how much time do you spend on factor verification calls? They're like, well, I don't know. I've never really thought about that. We go, right? And we say, well, you know, do some, do, do some analysis and tell us. But odds are it's going to be about... 30%, 40%, whatever percent of your loads are getting factor verification calls. And that eats up this much time per call and you're seeing it's just one of those hidden costs. Then when they go off and they do the work, they go, man, you're right. And so you're like, when you turn into a bit of a consultant for them and you help them uncover some costs that they didn't even know about, kind of like what you were saying before uh, with uh, uh, earlier in the, in the broadcast, you know, when you help them find that stuff they hadn't even thought about, you turn it, you, you, know, you, you turn it into an ally for them. It's like, yeah, we can help. We, we, let's just keep talking. We're going to find more for you. You know what? He, I, I was looking at your background, and you took an early interest in uh, online communities and social networks and that kind of thing. In 2020, how important is it to build those communities? I know for for content like we do, having communities and networks is huge, and it's fundamental to to news and outlets and promotion, all those kind of things. But for for software as a service, how how important are those online communities and being a uh, a leader inside of them? Uh, Matt, it's it's massively important. It's uh, and and in in the in the COVID world, it's even more important. You know, I mean, uh, 
the the sales game uh, has changed so dramatically over the past four months uh, that it's uh, that you, you need to rely on those communities and uh, it's it's really your only entrance and uh, to get in front of people anymore in a, in a safe way. So uh, it's it, you, you got to be out there, but you can, but you know it's the whole social selling. Thing. You can't be spamming. You have to offer insights. You have to connect with the right people. You know, I think that you know the abuse of like LinkedIn and mail is uh, that, that most uh, business development reps use is is egregious. You know, you just got you just got to put yourself out there and and spend and, and spend the time to you know kind of develop your. Uh, you know, develop your, your network with people and, and not be a, you know, not, not be a, a fine jerk while you're doing it. Kevin, what was that email we got at our, uh, our media account on Freightways? It was like, we've been doing a ton of research on companies based in Dallas, Texas, who need <laughs> yeah. a metalworking website like the work that you guys do. We're like, uh, all these, a lot of these AI based on email automation softwares, I think they do a, a reps a pretty big disservice and maybe just salespeople in general, because so many people are used to just getting these like ridiculous mad libs emails now, because so many companies are using that, that, a, that AI email marketing that is only as good as the Data within your CRM or wherever it's pulling uh, that information from, and CRM data always sucks. Sometimes, yeah, it's sales reps are lazy. I mean, AI AI uh, is only as good as the data going into it, right? I mean, it's garbage in, garbage out. It's like that's why I always laugh when I see you know, like you know, Salesforce they're selling Einstein, they're selling uh, you know all the AI tools for CRM. It's like uh, I've, I've never seen a CRM system that didn't just completely suck. It's just it's so it's uh, but, you know. But, you know, God, how are you? I'm trying. So, Josh, you brought up CRM, and you're a VP of sales. So how much of a stickler are you with sales reps inserting uh, complete or real information uh, about CRM? And do you have any tips or tricks on any other sales managers out there who have to deal with this on a daily basis? Uh, I, I'm a I'm a, I'm a stickler, uh, and and uh, my my team will uh, when they when they listen to this they will probably roll their eyes when when I, I say I'm a stickler, <laughs> but I actually take a pretty I take a pretty soft hand with it. Um, like you know, I, I'm very operationally minded, right? So I mean, I, I look at the ops side of sales, and I, I find tremendous value in that because you know a bad forecast uh, is a bad forecast. If you can't get close dates right what's wrong with you, right? You, you know, you, you need to get this stuff uh, locked in. So things that I mandate inside of the CRM are, uh, you know, let's make sure that you know, meetings are captured. Let's make sure that every email exchange is captured. Let's make sure that, um, you know, for us, like, you know, our, our customers load volumes. That's horrendously important. And, and if that, and that stuff isn't accurate, I want to know why. Right, and I, like because that seems like a that's a pretty rookie thing to not be asking, <laughs> uh, or or to get wrong. Uh, and, you know, sometimes customers aren't truthful with you, but sometimes just the you know, the data is just wrong. So I measure to I measure towards this. After a customer goes live, you know we're you know we're transactionally based. You know, like okay, well you said that they were going to do you know hundred thousand loads a year. Uh, why why are we get why are we only seeing fifty? So we have a customer success problem. Do we have, is are there volumes down? You know, how do we how do we make sure we're getting the getting the data right and we're getting accurate information out of the CRM? So when you start showing the reps how you actually use the data and why it's important, then they're more willing to fill it in. Uh, but you know, but you, you, you always got to rattle the saber sometimes with these guys. I mean, because you know, you know, people are lazy. You got to make it as easy as possible. But put it in. Just get it in the CRM. 
Well, we're, we're running out of time, but before we let you go, and speaking of saber rattling, th- this is a question I was that I heard a lot of people asking at the 3PL Summit, and I, and I thought it was a pretty good one. How do you keep, now that we're this far into the pandemic, how do you keep all these remote workforces, these work-from-home teams, engaged and still and, and not disappearing into the background? You know, everyone's running really fast at first to prove they could work from home really well, but um, now I'm sure across the board at every company there are people that have just fallen back into the shadows. Right. How do you get how do you bring them back? Because, you know, you put a survey out there, 50 percent engaged, 50 percent are engaged. You don't have to worry about those ones. You have to worry about the other 50 percent who didn't fill out the survey and why. And do they still need to be there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, what we do is and and, you know, and I, offer, I ran you know, a pretty remote sales team, you know, from north, north, you know, all the way from Canada, all the way down to Brazil, back when I was at LifeRay before HubTrans. So I'm pretty used to running a remote sales team. Uh, and with and so HubTrend wasn't that big of a change for for me, but you know, what I found what, what works is you know, we have uh, we have two stand ups a week with the entire team, uh, and uh, you know, the first is a thirty minute stand up on Monday mornings, and, and the last one is uh, we call it the, the demo derby and happy hour on Friday afternoons. The one on Monday morning is okay. What are we going to get done this week? Who's closing? What are the problems? We run through the numbers. It's very regimented. Friday afternoon is how the week go. Uh, we all crack open a beer or a cocktail or drink of your choice, give me water. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we sit down and, and just say, how the week go? And we do some demo derbies. We you know, try to hone our skills. But like getting the team together virtually like that on a consistent, regular basis is worth its weight in gold. And, that, and I think it's the only way you can really do it. Uh, I mean, you can't try, you know, you can't, you know, here's one thing you do know. Sales reps aren't on planes right now. They don't, they're not in front of a customer. They can, they can find two hours a week to meet with the team. I got to agree with you. I got to agree with you. And I also think the the other thing I would add to that is that it's on the person running the meeting too. If you run a disengaged meeting where you sort of dismissively ask, okay, what's going on with you? What's going on with you? What's going on? You're not going to get great answers. You're not going to get quality answers out of people because they are going to just reflect uh, as dismissive as you are. They're going to take the easy out. They're going to be like, it doesn't even sound like he cares. All right. So I'm going to just be like, not much. Um, Excellent stuff here today, Josh. Uh, We do have to let you go, but where should people go after the show to learn more about HubTrend? Uh, go to hubtrend.com and uh, check us out and you, know, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, if you have any questions or, or want to talk sales, want to talk hubtrend, whatever, uh, just uh, uh, reach out and find me. So happy to talk. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck. Yes, thank you. Working from home with uh, with that lovely dog and uh, the daughter you're watching now, Phineas and Ferb. So uh, we'll, we'll catch you on the flip side, Josh. <laughs> thank you very much. Great. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great day. You bet. Thanks, Josh. Wow, he was he was excellent. I really enjoyed that that conversation. He had some great. really strong insights. Austin Kittleson, his uh, the takeaway he had was never use price to build value. And yeah, that that's uh, if if that's the one epitaph you take from uh, the graveyard of this show, take that one with you. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> you know, you, you always have to be focused on value, 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 value. Yes. Always think about it. It's a very t- really hard thing to do, though. But that's it's different. It's very tough. So, I mean, basically, if you're not getting it, it's going to take a long time to, to really come up with a good system to, to consistently add value to your, your sales game. I'd like to add, though, don't confuse that statement with don't lead with price. You, it's okay to lead with price if you do it in the right way, yes. as you and Josh talked about. But don't use the price to be the foundation of your value. Just understand that value is what goes under the equation. Um, okay, time for some shout-outs. Time for some shout-outs, and let's give a book away. You guys want us to give you a book? You want a book? Do you want a book? All right, we'll get you a yes. book. Aaron Dunn does. He said, book me. He loves the topic. All right, let's, uh, let's get a little drum roll going on. This one's never spoken a difference, I think, is the one I had up here uh, last week. We've done so many episodes. I put that coffee down between now and then, though, that I, I can't remember. 
All right, I'm going to roll. And the winner is number 37. Who is 37? Oh, you know what? This gentleman is already... We got to re-roll. We, right, we got to re-roll. Oh, okay. All right, number re-roll. 82. That gentleman had already won, so 82 would be... Oh, he's been asking all the time. Chris Jolly, you got your book, Chris man. Chris Jolly. You got your book, dude. <laughs> Congratulations to Chris Jolly. Oh, wow. I mean, the power of just like putting it out there in suggestion. He has been asking every week. He like, I think he thought it was rigged. He was like, nobody's getting books. I, why haven't I won? I've been, I've been watching every episode of put that coffee down and I still haven't gotten a book. Well, he got one. Matt Hennig, same thing yesterday. He was like, it should be about time. I win a book. He won the wolf book. I know. So congratulations to Chris Jolly. Yeah, he's been wanting the book more than probably anybody else out there, and he finally has one. Awesome. You know, people people get what they deserve, and uh, and good guys get good things, and so does Chris Jolly. And he says, finally, in the comments, a uh, couple more shout-outs. Jonathan A. Payne, he says, uh, thanks. He watched uh, yesterday's show afterwards. He really enjoyed it. Uh, Roberto Cadena, he said, it was so much fun working with you guys on the show. Kevin and I had a blast. It was it was yes. uh, a little bit of a bucket list checkoff to have uh, to have that, those conversations we did yesterday. That was super exciting. Uh, Jonathan Marsh really enjoyed the episode. He thought Jordan was a firecracker. Uh, and Rhonda said he was fantastic. Anybody in the comments here? Melissa Price said, congratulations. Chris Jolly, persistence. <laughs> and it's almost passive <laughs> persistence because he just needed to be on the list. I know, right? Anna Siller says... Anna Siller says, uh, congrats, Chris. Jelena D- Dimitrovic says, you get what you pay. Well, Chris Jolly hasn't necessarily. He's paid with his time watching Put That Coffee Down, but he hasn't paid for any books here. But I think they might be actually referring to our uh, our topping. Nicole Barrett's here. If you, if you catch her back episode, she was on, what, like two weeks ago with Michael Neme. Very interesting following what she's doing with Freight by Nicole. Mm-hmm. And uh, question for you guys in the comments. Leave it here. So we're thinking about what to do next week. I'm thinking of reaching out to... Kevin, what do you think of this? Toby from The Morning Brew. Yeah. He's their social media guy. He's, uh, he's put out some great advice on how to leverage both Twitter and LinkedIn. I know a lot of you in the LinkedIn comments are very active on LinkedIn. You're doing very well. You might not be as active on Twitter. Well, Toby is, has done a very good job of cracking the code on both of them. And Morning Brew is like, it's a crazy story. It's a newsletter that's worth millions of dollars. And had just, it just it be- is a- yeah, it's a crazy story, and we've all read Toby's, uh, was it 12 rules or 10 rules or how many rules that he has for, for social media, and we all live by those now. You, me, Emily. I mean, that's, that's our, our Bible for social media now. All right, so I, w- I will reach out to him. Any other suggestions you guys have, too? Anything we haven't answered in the show you want to see, be sure to leave in the comments. More than happy to facilitate and, uh, and um, you know, some of you even pluck out of the audience, like the claw machine at the, uh, at the arcade. Yeah. Beep. Bring you up, put you, put you right down the slot. You any good at those games, Kevin? Uh, I, I, I was decent at it, the, the claw games, yeah. You want Shana? You know, I, I spent a, a healthy amount of money trying to, uh, to get prizes. You want Shana's stuffed animal yet? Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. What, what yeah. kind of stuffed animal was it? I don't know. It was an owl, I think. An owl? Who? I don't know. And now she let she Dalmatian? Like, I don't Who won that? A doll? You can't tell the difference between a Dalmatian and an owl. Well, was it, it was Chris Jolly. You can't tell the difference between you and uh, and and uh, Michael Vincent. So now he's got a book, though, and now he'll figure it, he'll figure it out. Uh, you can find us. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That's D O N E R. Or look me up on LinkedIn. Kevin Hill is at Kevin Hill CL on Twitter. On the twits? Yes. 
On the Twits, yeah. On the Twits. All right, on the Twitter and on LinkedIn. Continue the conversation with us. Uh, check out all FreightWaves stuff. Like I said, if you subscribe to FreightCast, you get every single FreightWaves podcast. Just look it up on your favorite podcast player or look up Put That Coffee Down if you just want this Freight Sales podcast. Or, like we said, you can watch these things on that free FreightWaves TV app. They're also on demand. And we will be posting um, the, uh, the finalized version of this a little later on in the day today. So stick around. Nicole Barrett said, I would love someone to talk about Twitter since I haven't gotten into it, but am trying to. We're trying to make that happen for you, Nicole. A uh, little improv to end the show, Kevin? A little improv for me? I, yeah, so it's all about sales and, and it's all about price and value. And what I'll do on LinkedIn is post. I had four or five key bullet points for salespeople to, to follow, to, to build value that's, that's easy and com- comprehensible to do. Uh, so I'll send that out uh, this afternoon on LinkedIn. So watch out for that. Yes, and. Yes, and. Yes, and ABC. <laughs> I asked you to improv and you told me you're putting an article out. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it work, man. All right. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>